Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Two and a Half Millennials podcast. I'm your host, Radar. To my immediate left, this time is Popo, and to his left is Big Z. Big Z, Big Z. So how you guys been? You guys had a good week? Yeah, I had a great week. I uh, just got my uh, tooth pulled, and I'm just recovering, so having my first glass of wine now, finally. Thank you. I've had actually a very quiet week, which, to be honest, is, uh, you know, I'm, I was looking forward to this podcast. Well, that's good, gentlemen. So, on today's uh, show, what are we going to talk about? I know you had a couple of topics there, Mr. Popo. One of them was about small cities and versus large cities and how it affects the pandemic, or what? Uh, yeah, so some of the topics that I was thinking about is, first of all, the things that are happening in Turkey. Uh, uh, Turkey is a very uh, interesting country uh, with a very uh, uh, interesting history. Uh, a lot of people love it. A lot of people hate it. Uh, the other one was about comparing uh, small cities and large cities in North America, uh, benefits to do a cost-benefit analysis, why people are moving out of large cities, why they moved there to begin with. Uh, and the last one was something very uh, uh, even finer, which was uh, uh, whether you want to buy local or whether you want to buy on Amazon, uh, you know. I think it's kind of interesting that you actually bring that up because there's there's uh, it actually goes to a, a lot of a lot of the thing. <laughs> All right. Uh, so today's first topic is going to be about Turkey and the conflict that they're having with uh, the Armenia. Is that the thing that's happening? Is that the right one? Is that right there, Mr. Popo? Like, I know nothing about it. When I think of Turkey, I think of Thanksgiving and the holiday that is upon us, potentially, as we're recording this. But like. I would be very interested to learn all about Turkey and the problems or the good things that it has. Does it contain like a lot of the bird or is it just like, I don't know. Teach me. Teach me, sir. Teach me. Okay, so I'm just going to give you a quick overview of uh, the modern day Turkey, uh, which uh, is an offshoot of the Ottoman Empire and uh, uh, the Ottoman Empire. So essentially uh, at the time when... uh, when Roman empires uh, were falling and crumbling. Uh, So I'm talking around uh, 1000 AD. Um, What ended up happening is there was a huge influx of um, uh, sort of like uh, Islamic uh, uh, renaissance, Renaissance, uh, colonialism, uh, whatever term you want to use. One would say renaissance, the other would say uh, colonialism. But they, uh, they ended up expanding uh, under a guy called uh, Mahmud, the Conqueror, who was uh, who's considered to be sort of like the founder of the Ottoman Empire. And he ended up uh, actually taking Constantine, uh, not him, sorry, but uh, he ended up taking parts of uh, what's Greece, what's Italy, um, parts of um, uh, what what is currently in Turkey. Uh, because if uh, anyone doesn't know the capital, or the city, Anatolia, was part of uh, Greece uh, back in the day, uh, and um, which is a very beautiful city if anyone has the opportunity. Uh, later on, uh, so 1100s, uh, around 1500s, Turkey went through a lot of uh, uh, expansionist movements, so it moved uh, uh, further closer to Russia, closer to, um, uh, closer to India, and had many offshoots, so like mo- modern-day Uzbekistan and stuff like that were part of the old uh, Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire actually had uh, two things that were uh, 
that were important that we should remember. First, the architecture and the art of uh, the Ottoman Empire uh, is uh, almost unparalleled. Um, then, on the other hand, uh, they were also uh, extremely um, uh, violent. So all conquerors, uh, any time a land was conquered, uh, most thousands, hundreds of thousands were slaughtered uh, and converted. Those kinds of things happened. Um, one thing that I actually missed uh, telling you guys is um, Constantine, which was part of uh, uh, modern-day Europe, Greece, was actually part, uh, has become part of uh, modern-day Turkey due to, um, I don't remember the name, but around 1500s, uh, it was conquered, uh, taken, and then converted. So, uh, yeah, so as I was saying, uh, so it's important to remember, uh, the Ottoman Empire actually had uh, 700 years of succession. So um, in a way, the stability of its uh, uh, kingship, if you want to call it, was actually, um, the kingship was actually um, a, 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 an uh, abode for them. Uh, they did try to uh, take what was considered to be the Christendom of the time, uh, and uh, um, once again, I don't remember the guy's name, uh, but around 1500s, they did try to uh, attack Vienna. And this, the attack in Vienna was one of the largest uh, attempts uh, that the Ottoman Empire had made to uh, take parts of Europe. And uh, they were unable to, they were defeated in Vienna. So if anyone is actually a, a history buff, they should really look up the uh, the uh, the battle um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's um, it was a decisive battle uh, in which uh, uh, Turkey or uh, Ottoman Empire had lost. So modern day Turkey, I just want to bring bring the bring the um, bring the whole story uh, together. Is um, it was quite profound uh, that they were quite um, Islamic. Uh, not only that, uh, they had a huge pride in sort of going out and conquering different places uh, and expanding. Uh, however, they uh, lost in World War I. So the story begins with a guy called Kamal uh, Ataturk. So Kamal uh, uh, Ataturk uh, is whom uh, modern-day Turkey is actually named after. Um, so... There were many, uh, the details of it basically are that, um, well, basically that Turkey, the Ottoman Empire had lost, and the last uh, caliph, a caliph is somebody who is uh, an Islamic leader, um, and the Ottoman Empire was considered to be a caliphate, um, was defeated, and then they were run out. And what came in place is this very incredible individual called um, uh, Kamal Ataturk. So Kamal Ataturk was uh, initially actually uh, raised by a single mother and uh, later on in some of the other episodes I'm going to talk about sort of this uh, combination coming popping up in Russia, in India, in the United Kingdom and many other places. Uh, he was raised by a single mother. Uh, father had died. He had five siblings. Only the sister survived. Uh, he ended up joining the army, became Became the uh, became the general, uh, and uh, ended up uh, uh, fending off uh, a Greek invasion. Um, Greek invasion. However, uh, Turkey had to. Um, it was a ten-month battle with Greece. Uh, Greece had uh, invaded uh, what was known as modern-day uh, uh, the Ottoman Empire. Um, after losing, um, 
um, post around World War Two, what ended up happening uh, is uh, Kemal Ataturk actually um, ended up uh, secularizing Turkey. So that meant that they will they will no longer have uh, Arabic uh, scripture. They will have Latin uh, numerals and Latin scripture. Uh, along with that, they uh, wanted to follow secular laws, so uh, Sharia law was not allowed, and many other secular things, such as education for women was a, uh, another big one, uh, as well as uh, women's right to um, property and such things. So um, uh, if anyone ever has an opportunity to... Um, uh, uh, has an opportunity to read about uh, Kemal Ataturk, an incredible individual, historic individual. There's Kemal uh, Ataturk, and then there's Deng Xiaoping uh, of China, amongst many other hist uh, history characters. But somewhat, uh, uh, we have uh, uh, the individual, to Big Z over here, has a question. He wants to ask a question. Okay, so you talked about how Turkey, after Second World War, pivoted towards... Uh, I'll say Western ideas, Western values. Now the question is, is that this makes me kind of wonder what is the what was the driving force uh, when Turkey joined NATO? Because we all know that NATO is uh, has a wide number of partners in the coalition, but I've always it's always struck me as uh, odd that Turkey would be a, a NATO country. Uh, where do you think that came about, and would that role change in this current situation? Uh, yeah, so I think uh, when the uh, EU uh, was being formed, I think initially it was called uh, EC, the European Commission, uh, in uh, the early 1990s. Uh, Turkey was uh, seen as an outsider because culturally it was not affiliated with uh, primarily the backbone of uh, European ideology. However, it was given membership into the European Union and then later on in NATO. Um, I feel that it was the um, majority of the European countries wanted to make uh, make amends uh, that they didn't because Europe has gone through so much war uh, and they wanted to uh, build a relationship rather than uh, keep them as an outsider. But as you know, in democracy, what ends up happening is that, you know, you can get uh, leader A for five years, and then you get leader B, who's a contrast, uh, for five more years. Uh, unfortunately, I believe uh, that's what's happening. Uh, but just you know, uh, I think it was an opportunity for uh, Nor uh, North American uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization to expand their uh, capacities um, because it, remember um, uh, it, the Ottoman Empire act as a barrier acted as a barrier for uh, Europe. Uh, to uh, to uh, to get to uh, Asia, so that's why they had uh, the Cape of Good Hope uh, in South Africa. They had to make a port there, then get to China, then get to Europe, then uh, sorry, then get to uh, India, then get to Japan. Uh, and it, the Ottoman Empire had had was a physical barrier, and that's why the British went to war with Egypt, and uh, so that they can bypass the Ottoman Empire because Egypt was not part of the Ottoman Empire. So it was, uh, I think th that was the rationale behind it. Okay, so we talked about, um, so NATO, but my question, now here, here's a further question. Uh, we've, if you've uh, been paying attention to media, media posts and television, and you 
I've been listening about uh, President Erdogan. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, he came in and he installed himself as a president for life or prime minister for life. Uh, and there's been stories. I've actually read articles that there was this famous church. I don't know whether it's in Constantinople, uh, where it was uh, at one point in time, it was a popular Christian church. And after it was converted to something else, a museum perhaps, uh, I think it was a museum, a well-known like, like civilization museum. And in the last several months, it was actually converted to uh, a mosque. And a lot of people are saying that this is a symbolic shift back towards the Ottoman Empire. And given this current cir circumstances with Armenia and Azerbaijan, do you think Turkey is heading back, leaving the kind of NATO roots, not NATO roots, leaving its modern incarnation and heading back to its old Ottoman Empire days? Popo, what do you think? It's funny the way you say Popo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, I think you're referring to the Hagia Sophia, uh, which is considered to be part of Constantinople. I, um, and initially it was uh, part of uh, sort of like Greek civilization, and then it was taken into the Ottoman uh, uh, Empire, yeah, converted into a mosque. Uh, and then, uh, as I mentioned, as I was mentioning before, uh, Ataturk uh, ended up, uh, when he secularized Turkey, uh, he ended up converting that uh, to a museum. So it neutralized uh, the historic injustices in a way, you know. Uh, you can't really uh, neutralize things that way, but uh, it uh, set it on a decent note. Um, so, uh, so what ended up happening after that is Erdogan, and you know, honestly, I don't think he's listening to our podcast, so it doesn't really matter if uh, we can pronounce uh, his name that correctly. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, political um, uh, turmoil that did happen. It was violent, so it's not that uh, it was a democratically uh, done uh, election. It was violent. There was a coup, uh, I think, four or five years ago by the military. The military failed uh, because it was split, and then they were put to death. Um, so uh, I think, it, you know, um, a, lot of, a lot of these individuals who, have, who compare themselves with, like, the greats, right? So, I mean, like, some of these people will be comparing themselves with Mahmoud the Conqueror, uh, you know, or some of the sultans of uh, Ottoman Empire, uh, what ends up happening, uh, or Ataturk himself, uh, and, you know, they try and outdo them through violent methods, and it generally doesn't work. Uh, the Ottoman Empire is not coming back, because the, when uh, the Ottoman Empire was expanding, uh, the territories it was conquering didn't really have massive empires. Uh, to defend, but nowadays it, it's a whole different scenario. Um, so I feel they are trying something. They are definitely influencing um, the surrounding uh, Islamic countries, uh, whether it's Azerbaijan, whether it's uh, Pakistan, where it's, whether it's Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, uh, those that area, be because uh, then uh, what ends up happening is. Uh, they are able to establish themselves. So one thing that I, uh, like, without going on to too much of a tangent, here's an interesting fact. So uh, Osama bin Laden, for example, was uh, uh, the mastermind uh, who was from Saudi Arabia. Most people know this by now. 
that he was from Saudi Arabia. But one thing that you, uh, the ideology that was behind him was Wahhabism. So Wahhabism has died down a lot, uh, and there are two countries that are influencing uh, sort of that sphere, uh, the Islamic sphere, which is Qatar and Turkey. So Turkey is currently uh, funding a significant amount of projects uh, in uh, in Canada, in the United States, and it's not Saudi Arabia as, as much as it used to be, especially after... Uh, uh, the new, uh, the new, I guess, king has come about, Salman, uh, and in Saudi Arabia, who has not necessarily secularized, but uh, the main uh, go-to ideology is not Wahhabism for him. Whereas for Erdogan, uh, he feels that there's a connection, a historic connection. But it, it's going to be interesting to see how Russia plays out, because uh, if you read the news today, you'll notice that. Guess where Azerbaijan and Armenia are going to meet? They went to Moscow to meet Putin. That's how much power he holds. Uh, that uh, Erdogan has, uh, he, like, they are going to probably the most powerful person in the region. It's not Angela Merkel. Uh, it's not uh, Erdogan. While they might want or crave that much power, but they don't have that kind of power. So this poses the another question. How long do you think this conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia will go on for? Now, I did some research into it, and it turns out this is a pretty much a long-standing conflict. I guess in a kind of a, a, a very similar way to a kind of a Cold War. So um, those two territories or provinces at the time were part of the Russia, and that's when they when it fell apart. That's when the internal strife, when they became their own country, they started squabbling over territory. There was a war in the 90s. And after that, so and after that, it settled down, and now it's reemerged again. Uh, is this uh, going to be sort of like a Cold War, or is this going to be kind of like a, you know, an actual, you know, tanks and planes and, and conflict? I think uh, this is uh, between Azerbaijan and Armenia. I don't. I don't see a huge conflict coming about, mostly because they're not big players, and it depends on who supports uh, them. And obviously, like the news that we get is so convoluted, and the truth is so hard and deep and hidden that we don't. We won't really know till the end of it. We didn't know what exactly was happening in uh, in the Vietnam War till almost twenty years down the road. So there's a power play between NATO uh, and uh, Russia that happens all the time. Uh, Crimea is like a perfect example of that. Uh, so I, I, I don't think that major things are going to happen. Major uh, serious conflicts are just not going to be happening because both sides have a lot to lose. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had nuclear weapons uh, being held by pretty much um, all majority uh, NATO countries and, uh, you know, Russia. I doubt that there's going to be a major conflict. Even with Crimea, there was no major conflict. The kind of conflicts that we used to see prior to uh, World War II in the Balkans, and like you know, of course, uh, there was a war after that as well. Um, that that kind of bloodshed will not be happening. I, there's there's just um, no the it'll be a fearic victory, as in like you uh, one one person will win or the other person will win, but uh, the losses required to win that battle is not worth the battle itself. 
So what it's really interesting is that uh, listening to kind of a Western perspective, it's almost like non-existent. You, you take a look at uh, the media and, and it's like not happening. But right now there is actually ground warfare between the two countries. There are casualties. There are pictures of tanks being, uh, you know, blown up and people on the move that are becoming refugees. But it's interesting in the West, you hear nothing about it, first and foremost, and it doesn't take a priority. And I was listening to a commentary and it's saying, well, this is, this is not a an, uh, this is not a tragedy because this is not an American interest. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, um, a lot of the media is quite like North America centric. Uh, things that happen with us, around us, and regarding us, and that's reasonable to expect the media to do that. Um, Armenia and Azerbaijan. Most people won't be able to locate the uh, countries in the map. If I mention uh, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan. Kazakhstan, you know, Mongolia, uh, most people can't locate it. Mo and, you know, um, they're not as relevant as, say, for example, Germany, France, uh, the United Kingdom are. Uh, as you know, like, uh, if, uh, it's been front page news for a while, uh, uh, the escalations between India and China, but it still didn't really take that much uh, precedence or uh, presence in news media. So given that contrast, uh, because initially those two countries have a population of about 1.4 billion each, and they had soldiers killed, they had tanks that were also uh, firing at each other, I doubt that uh, this would be, unless NATO is harmed, uh, and then it would become a big issue because, you know, as you know, uh, Canada and the United Sta States are part of uh, the North Atlantic, uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Uh, I think until unless NATO feels threatened, and there is actually conflict, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Just So one, one segue, I just, I, I want to do a very nice sweet, and, uh, sweet segue here is for the audience to understand that if, think about this for a second. So you've got uh, Europe that is split in uh, many, I'm t and I'm not talking about the European Union, I'm talking about Europe as a continent. Um, Right, and there's about, uh, I think, 16 different languages that they speak. Uh, there's a whole bunch of territories, uh, over 26 countries. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm including, uh, you know, Estonia in there as well. Um, so that think about living there and think about and the history that's there. And now think about the kind of history that America has. America is a lot larger, but... It actually has a single language that you speak. You don't have to speak multiple languages. Uh, the conflict between North Dakota and South Dakota is nothing close to what Germany and France have gone through. Um, and this, you know, or France or the United Kingdom. Florida and California are not up in arms. So these are some of the advantages that a lot of people who live in the United States or Canada, uh, for example, you can go from uh, Halifax to Vancouver, speak the same language, get a job without a visa. These are incredible opportunities that uh, we sometimes don't see. And, uh, you know, the opportunities, as we know, gold rush in California, and then we've got, um, uh, I think, uh, Vancouver, uh, you've got Vancouver, you've got Toronto, some of the major cities 
where uh, people uh, immigrated and ended up uh, creating a significant amount of uh, economic hubs. Um, it's one of the reasons I actually believe that North America has far more of a f of a going for itself economically than I would say Europe uh, has at this point in time. I mean, it's doing better than it did after World War II and in the Dark Ages, but uh, we've got Big Z with a question. That's not really a question. It's more like a segue. I mean, right now, I think one of the pressing issues for, for millennials is where do they want to put down their roots? You know, you take a look and, and big cities, whether it's in Canada, like Vancouver or Toronto or New York or San Francisco or Chicago, um, did a lot of reading and research. And it, it just seems like, well, I'm not sure whether it's the media or not, but I've actually talked to a number of, number of people. And they've they, at one point in time, it was like, if you're in a mid-sized city, um, you know, it's time to, you know, pull roots go to someplace successful, go to Toronto, go to Chicago, go to, uh, you know, Silicon Valley. And that's where all your hopes and dreams will lie. And all the opportunities that gold rush will happen. Now, all of a sudden the pandemic hit and our world has been turned upside down. And the same people are, are kind of now questioning. And you even got reports from different media saying that there's actually a bit of an exodus. My question, I'm going to talk to, um, you know, Radar and Popo, and is this what is their take on on the big cities? Uh, is this a, a temporary blip? Is this a, you know a, a lifestyle change? Are we going to be like digital nomads and and you know we're gonna live in you know suburbia? Radar, what do you think? I completely missed that question. I'm sorry, man. But to further your story time with Ash that we just had for a good 25 minutes, you didn't talk about Turkey at all. Like, I was talking about the bird, not like the country. I thought that's what we were going to talk about. How you can cook it, how you can do this, how you can do that with it. I was so lost to that whole thing. But that was very good. That was very good. So if I understand your question, it was how COVID's going to affect big cities in just how it's just going to affect big North cities. America. North America, like industrial or just in... Small and mid-sized cities, like so, like looking at the city that we live in currently, it's we're mid-sized city. We're in the middle of like a second spike, right? And you're seeing a lot of people following the rules and wearing masks and doing things like that. But you're also seeing a lot of people going against that, and it's interesting because businesses are starting to suffer, right? So like you've got a lot of people saying you need to open businesses and keep them going and not close restaurants and bars down by 10 p.m. at night, right? Versus, I'm, I'm completely lost. I don't know if I'm off topic. Sorry, what was your question again there, Mr. Big no, Z? I, it's fine. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> and, like, give me a second to clear my thoughts here, people. Sorry. Um, busy doing other things in the background. And, how, like, how will it affect life? yeah, yeah. So, like, you can. Do you want to stay in a big, like, if you're in a big city. Yeah. The question is, is like I said, as millennials is putting down roots, you know, so, so, you know, depending on at what part of the, of the, you know, the, the age spectrum you are, some people are settling down. Some people are getting married. Some people are building their career. Do you want to go to a place like Toronto or New York or Atlanta or these big, big cities 
and set up roots. Now with the coronavirus, is it even worth it? Is this kind of a temporary thing? Like, are we just going to go like, you know what? That luster for kind of the big city, you know, to go to New York and have a tiny apartment so that you could be, you know, uh, the next big, you know, journalist. Is that over? Okay, sorry. I was just completely sidetracked, trying to set up a bunch of other things. Also, if you guys are listening to this, I'm going to sidebar, do a little self-promotion. We have an Instagram account called Two and a Half Millennials, all lowercase. So far, there's nothing on there. Please go give us a follow. Um, okay, now to answer your question there, Big Z. For me personally, during this whole pandemic thing, I'm glad that I live in a medium-sized city because like, if I was living in, say, Toronto right now, and I'll just use your example if I was a radio host or a television producer, I might not even have a job because everything these days has gone from your traditional stand in front of a camera to online this, online that. And like you need even need less people, right? So like say, for instance, I'll take a larger network, something with a T and S and an N. Say they had five people or six people doing the job to produce one show, right? Now that's down to probably just two. So you're starting to see things being, you're starting to see the advancement of technology from this take away jobs. So am I disappointed that I'm living in a medium-sized city? Am I okay with staying here? A hundred percent because there are, Oh, excuse me. Sorry, folks just dying over here. There are still jobs being able to be created in a smaller size city and you're not seeing as much of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like a job, like lost exodus. exodus thank you. In certain types of careers. Right. So, um, would I want to move to a big city? Like I've always thought about potentially moving to Vancouver, but if say I had just moved there at the start of this pandemic, I'd be freaking out because I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have any work. Right. So as I said, uh, I'm happy that I live where I live with the job that I have doing what I do, because in a larger market, you're seeing a lot of people without a jobs. That's why they've created Serb here in Canada. That's why in the U S they've done, I, don't really know if they've done anything to help their citizens other than get like a fly in a vice president candidate's hair, which distracted everyone from their crumbling country. But I'm happy where I live. Would I prefer to live in a small town? Probably not. I feel like a mid-sized city is better given what we're going through. Um, but I'm going to pass over to Mr. Popo when he's done eating his mooncake or give it back to Big Z to chat for a bit while Mr. Popo was finishing his mooncake and he can give us our, his thoughts on it. Um, but yeah, those are mine. Like, as I said, I'm happy where I live. Do I think that, yeah, I'm just going to give it to you, Big Z. I'll figure this out afterwards. So the question is, is that a lot of people are saying, I've read articles and saying that this is really the sign of uh, the end for the big cities as we know it. Is it, are we going through kind of a, a societal shift? If you take a look at history, during the 1940s and 50s and 60s, America, they actually went from rural areas, small towns, farms, and they congregated to cities. And then eventually, they went from downtown, which was not a pleasant thing, to suburbia. Are we kind of doing the reverse? Are we basically, we've reached our peak in our big cities, and now we're going like, okay, you know what, these all these wonderful advantages that big cities have are not so glamorous anymore is that a is that a is that a blip is it once the pandemic is over and say well who knows nobody knows but let's say one to two years 
will there be kind of a, a renaissance for like places like Toronto and, and New York and Vancouver and Chicago? Mr. Popo, what do you think? So there are a few things that I want to mention about uh, small, medium, and large cities. So large cities, I would consider population of like one and a half million and over, uh, and small, uh, medium size would be about between 200 and 700,000 to uh, maybe a million max. And then uh, you've got small cities, of, of course, like, you know, anything less than that would be a small city. So you've got, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, Saskatoon would be a small city, uh, uh, like, yeah, small city. Um, Kelowna. Uh, Kelowna uh, would be a small uh, city, not a town, uh, but a small city. Vancouver, on the other hand, would be a large city. Um, but I think uh, the time when uh, cities were created, in my opinion, I've traveled quite a, quite a bit around the world, and I have to say uh, the traffic is horrendous in big cities. But the reason uh, the traffic is there is because the opportunities are also there. So if you're a person who's satisfied with, you know, like you're getting your income, living in a house, whatever the basics are, then uh, medium-sized cities are good for you because, the, the you know, the opportunities are there. But if you want to do, say, the best research, if you want to do the best research in uh, neuroscience, if you want to be, uh, if you want to uh, meet, uh, go to school where Nobel laureates teach, they're not in small, uh, medium-sized towns. Uh, if you want to work on the most advanced technology, it's not in medium-sized towns or small-sized towns. Like if you have an inclination or if you have a sense of ambition, it ends up being uh, in large cities, but. The problem with that is that uh, now you're headed with a lot of competition. So there is a, it's a catch-22 uh, for big cities for sure. I think in my opinion, one topic that I really want to bring out in this, uh, uh, in this uh, podcast is the concept of uh, geolocation arbitrage, uh, which is a very uh, new, uh, new topic. What the hell is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Shit. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. So, like, so uh, you guys were talking about the exodus uh, from large cities right oh, now, right? Man. You were talking about the exodus uh, from large cities and radar, to. You are totally off the radar. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like I'm a little out of it today, boys. You guys keep going. So the the geo the idea of geolocation arbitrage is uh, is a new concept. It's actually uh, very. It's I, I I would say it's post millennial concept. It's uh, very 2020 concept, which uh, is an offshoot of the exodus that's been happening from New York, San Francisco, and major big cities like Toronto. Uh, so geolocation arbitrage is where you get the advantage of living in a large city uh, by living uh, in the outsides of it. So you don't work in the large city, so you won't be working in New York, but you get the advantage of it by living, say, for example, about 100 150 kilometers away from it because uh, the if on average and you guys can do a, a, a google search for this on average house prices drop by every hundred kilometers uh to about 20 percent to 30 percent and then from there on uh, house prices can drop about 50 percent unless you know you live in los angeles then just they just keep going on um but if you're looking at living in places like toronto uh house prices drop 20% every 50 kilometers from the center of the city uh, and then 10% every 50. So uh, what you would do is you would live outside and I believe this is the future because modern day cities are a havoc. Uh, 
uh, they were not built. Uh, I don't think humans are meant to live 50 million. Uh, there are certain ser uh, cities that have like 20 million, like Tokyo, for example. There's no nature around it. Um, There's an airport built in the middle of a farmer's field. But so, um, so the geolocation arbitrage would be you making money outside about 100, 150 kilometers while having the uh, access to the network of the major cities, which is the greatest thing uh, that you go move to a new city for. So, for example, if you're a professor, right, and let's say you're a Nobel laureate pr professor or you're a student, one or the other, and you go to... Um, you, what you would do is you would actually live about 100 kilometers away from New York uh, while teaching in New York University online. Uh, and if you're a student, then you would be going to New York University online. So that's geolocation arbitrage using technology. And I'm really, uh, this is something that I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I'm very interested in this because you can actually create small businesses about 100, 150 kilometers away from New York, sell in New York, uh, through uh, you know distribution agencies, so that creates opportunities for uh, an expansion uh, and a dilution of the population, which is needed in some parts. Anyways, I can keep talking. These guys are listening. So what, what one thing uh, one thing I I, I want to uh, I haven't talked about the geolocation arbitrage is that you can actually also uh, set up businesses uh, uh, such as that don't require you to be physically present and live in places like Mexico. In, uh, and I want to mention uh, uh, Estonia, uh, S Slovenia, uh, Croatia, they, uh, and Turkey, yes. Uh, they actually allow uh, peop wealthy people uh, to come live uh, according to their cultural values, so don't be a vagabond there. Um, and Hong Kong, of course, uh, where the cost of living is lower than the major cities. But if you provide consulting, if say, for example, you understand New York well, you can provide consulting services while living in Croatia which is, uh, or Estonia, which is a much more uh, friendly country uh, to live in when it comes to uh, money-wise, cost of living-wise. I'm not talking about the cultural aspects. Of course, there's a, there's ad adaptation done. Then uh, you have a question here. Not a question, more more of a comment. It's a, if you take a look, um, a lot of times you hear stuff like on Bloomberg or something like that. You would say that uh, it it all, you know, keep track of the of the trends, and you you take a look. Due to the pandemic, a lot of people went online and then, you know, you take a look and they'll say, OK, question is, is that when will uh, that end? And they, you know, when will they actually get back to their offices? Well, uh, getting back to the offices, I don't think you have finished the question. We're having some mic trouble here, uh, but uh, we're just going to give you a second. OK, so the fact that. You know, like you take a look at these major cities and, and you hear stories about the fact that downtown, regardless of what major city is hollowing out, offices are emptying out, people are working at home. And you take a look, a lot of people would probably would have said, probably maybe in, in March, you would say, well, yeah, this, this pandemic, a couple of weeks and then everything will be back to normal. Well, it, it is now October and we're nowhere near to being close to the end of this. Uh, for many people, we suspect maybe, you know, one to two years. And that we might even be kind of guessing for that. Now, the thing is, is that a lot of these high-tech companies, um, if you take a look, uh, you know, Google, Facebook, Slack, all these other companies, they're saying that uh, it will be long-term, uh, long-term employment at home. 
Uh, some have even suggested that maybe this is not even, uh, you know, long term. Maybe this will be a, a permanent, permanent thing. Are we seeing kind of the shift of work for millennials? Yeah, so uh, two important piece, uh, bits of uh, news from the uh, big giant uh, corporate world. Uh, Microsoft today announced, uh, it was probably the biggest news that Microsoft has announced as far as their employees are concerned, uh, is that they will permanently allow uh, workers to work from home. That was the news today. So if you guys haven't checked that out, have a look. It's a very short excerpt, just a notice going out. Whereas, uh, on the other hand, you've got Twitter. Uh, um, I have to say they made an asinine choice, which is that they, if during the crisis, a lot of indiv- uh, um, they were work- uh, a lot of tw- Twitter employees were working from home, and they decided to move away, four or five hundred kilometers away, still working using their computer. Twitter decided to uh, cut their pay by seventeen to twenty percent. Now, Microsoft hasn't said that, which means that Microsoft keeps the edge of uh, getting uh, the top uh, employees. Uh, and I think that, that the way Microsoft has acted is the way to the future. Um, one thing that opens up is opportunities, significant amount of opportunities in places like, let me talk about some of the Canadian cities, like, for example, Kelowna is going to be growing a lot. Uh, uh, you've got Saskatoon. So these are uh, cities that have about 100 to 250,000 uh, individuals. St. John's is another one. Halifax is huge. Uh, Windsor is uh, another huge one. Winnipeg is, I'm not sure about Winnipeg, but uh, Regina, Saskatoon, these small places are have a significant amount of opportunity for growth. And just like we saw in the United States um, uh, after World War II, where there was Los Angeles, but there was also Santa Monica. If anybody uh, reads the history Everyone, uh, I think now you guys know I read a lot of uh, useless stuff, and why my uh, fiance calls me the most boring person in the world. Uh, Santa Monica was developed after Los Angeles, uh, and it's a beautiful place. If anyone has uh, not gone there, please go have a look. Santa Monica Boulevard, sorry, Santa Monica, the city I'm talking about. Um, that uh, those cities, uh, so because you've got Santa Monica, you've got uh, uh, I think uh, Venice. These places popped up uh, because a lot of people didn't want to live in big cities like Los Angeles. They were just concrete cities. So you've got places like Edmonton that are coming up, you know, and there's a significant amount of opportunity. And my advice to anybody who's in their early 20s, or as a matter of fact, if we're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, is go where the growth is happening and ride that uh, wave. Um, It's the greatest thing. Once you identify a wave, um, uh, you can win uh, much easier than you c- do not go battle in the middle of Vancouver. Uh, it's not worth it. Uh, play it smart. Uh, keep your money with you. And uh, there's a lot of opportunities coming to Kelowna, a lot of them coming to St. John's, Halifax, um, just like Santa Monica um, has a significant amu- uh, amount of opportunities. Um, like, you know, wh- why did, why did uh, Jeff Bezos uh, start uh, his company in Seattle? Right? Why not? Los Angeles, because uh, initially, uh, most people don't know this, but it was because of taxes and taxes. So Seattle was trying to really encourage development. Uh, it didn't have a huge population. I think it has a population of about 700,000. It, it's, it's relatively small. It's not as big as Los Angeles. So, it was, so they were trying to give incentives to taxes. And guess where Amazon started? It started in Seattle. Where did um, 
uh, Microsoft start. It didn't start in um, in New York. Uh, I'm not dissing New York or Los Angeles, but it does anyone know? Where did uh, Microsoft start? Can you check? Can you check? Uh, no, it wasn't in Seattle. It was in Albuquerque. Really? Uh, I believe it was Albuquerque where uh, their their initial headquarters were. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. That's, that's a very, that's a shock. Started April 4th, 1975 by Bill Gates and Paul Allen in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Man, I wonder what the hell Paul Allen's up to these days. Probably kicking himself. So there's a lot of opportunities in towns that are seeing growth. Uh, don't go to a dead town where it, you know, what would you do? Uh, look at the average age that's there. Uh, if it's over 55, don't go there. Uh, uh, you know, nothing is really happening. There. No offense to those folks. It's just like uh, there's a cycle, right? Um, people move out of a neighborhood. People move into a neighborhood. Uh, but there is definitely opportunity. Go where the growth is, where the industries are slowly popping up. Be observant, non-judgment, observant, critical, uh, discriminatory, but not necessarily judgmental, uh, to your personal bias. Uh, that's definitely something that I'm also following. And remember the word, uh, it is a newly coined term, which is geolocation arbitrage. It's a huge thing, uh, and it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be the key to being successful in the future. Okay, so this, I just want to kind of, this geo... Geolocation uh, arbitrage. So it is about leaving the big cities... For mid-sized cities, cheaper places to find prosperity, sort of an exodus from the cities. Would you clarify as that? Radar, you've been really quiet. Is there anything to add? Are we still talking about turkeys or we move on to Bill Gates in Albuquerque, New Mexico? Sorry, I've been busy over here doing all kinds of stuff, monitoring levels and things like that. Um, no, I'm, I don't have anything to add. What's, what are we talking about again? We're talking about, is, are people still going to leave? Oh, yes, yes, derp. Uh, no, I, as, as you said, I feel like, um, the growth of large cities is probably going to stagnate because there aren't going to be a lot of jobs. And I feel like you're going to see a lot of people that worked in, um, <laughs> sorry guys, I'm, I'm here, but I'm not, that worked in like the manual labor sector or like those office jobs that are working from home they're probably going to in a couple of years depending on how many jobs there are um which could roll into another topic of how eventually technology is going to start replacing people that'll probably be next podcast topic as well as doxing which is kind of scary um about how you're going to see a lot of people slowly move out into smaller and smaller towns and return to more manual labor because as people are realizing from this pandemic and everything that it's the manual jobs that are more valuable, like your farmers, your transport drivers, your this, your that. Yeah, that's all I got on the topic. Sorry, guys, I've been doing a bunch of things in the background right now. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to Mr. Popo and... So, yeah, to sum it all up, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my personal thoughts, and it seems like their thoughts, is that everyone will be leaving the big cities at some point are going to move to smaller communities, picking up more manual labor jobs and or jobs involving technology. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to thank you 
for listening to the Two and a Half Millennials podcast. I'm your host, Radar, who needs to be more focused in than all over the place. If any of you get that joke, that's great. We've had Mr. Poe doing story time at the very beginning and Big Z coming in with the hot questions. As always, thank you very much for listening. Subscribe to our Instagram page, which is at Two and a Half Millennials, and our YouTube, which is Two and a Half Millennials. You'll be able to find this on the YouTube for now. We're still working on getting this uploaded to podcast apps and things like that. Thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good day slash night.